Hello, and welcome to another episode of Titans of Customer Engagement. Today, we are joined by the infamous and illustrious Heis van den Neuhuizen, and hopefully I got that right with my, with my very poor Americanized English. Uh, we tend to butcher the Dutch names. Um, Heis has been an employee of Koros for a couple of years now, so it's a real pleasure to be able to talk to Heist today about automa automation, robots, things like that, and specifically in, in the context of our solutions, how they can efficiently automate the customer experience for the big brands that we work with. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Heist and have Heis, if you could just say a few words about yourself, and in particular, tell us when your first concert was and what group it was. Oh boy, first concert. Well, that was quite an intro. Thank you. Thank you, Jake. Yeah. So yeah, uh, my name is Heis, um, Dutch, so don't worry about butchering my name like every other country in, in the world cannot pronounce. Dutch names, except for the Dutch themselves. So that's a uh, shame on us. I don't know why we did that. Like, anyway, like some, some of the words that you know, like Brooklyn, like yes. those used to be, they, those used to be Dutch words, right? Like uh, most of the areas in New York. Okay. But uh, it's just an American flavor. So. Uh, right, right. Well, they, I do know that in New York there, you know, there's the new Amsterdam area. So I, <laughs> <laughs> However, that oh yeah, no, it's uh, it's Broadway, Brooklyn, yeah. like those those are all Dutch places actually. But uh, right. yeah, so my uh, my background is um, yeah, before I joined Chorus, I was part of Flow.ai, and we partnered with uh, with Chorus for uh, I think two or three years before mm -hmm. uh, we got acquired. Um, my background is in that AI space, so in conversational AI, as they call it, so it's chatbots and automating the customer journey. Uh, my background before I started Flow, um, I was more involved in, in user experience and uh, in uh, figuring out uh, how people interact with computers. And I guess that uh, Flow is a natural, a natural uh, next step mm -hmm. for me back then because uh, I was working for insurance companies and other companies, and they had they had a hard time in figuring out like what are people actually contacting us for. Um, so instead of uh, doing like uh, the stuff we did, did in the past, like looking for keywords and stuff, we actually uh, use some more advanced pieces of technology. And that's how Flow AI got born. So um, okay. to that point. Now, my first concert, okay. oh man, I, I honestly, I cannot remember, but we have like a lot of festivals okay. in the Netherlands. We're, we're typically a festival country. Um, so I don't know. It, that's That's... Such a good question. Maybe Coldplay. I don't know. Okay. It could be. Well, that's fair. And was it was that in the late '90s or early 2000s? You think? No, that's early 2000s. Okay. okay. Yeah. So yeah. 2001 or two or something like that. Did you have a good time? Was it a good good show? I think so. It's hard to remember. So it must be a good show. Right. And let's talk a little bit about that transition where you were doing customer experience or. It was uh, a fascination of yours, or it was part of your discipline, professional discipline, and that you made that jump to where you said, maybe the customer experience, it isn't all in the layout of the web page. It isn't all in the 
the buttons and the widgets. It's about the actual conversation that goes on, the shepherding, to use that English word, right? Like what can bolster the customer experience that isn't in the traditional UI or UX layout. It's, um, it's a robot. It's someone you talk to that helps you. And how did, like, did you have a mentor? Did somebody teach you about it? Or was it something that you'd been tinkering with for a while in your experience in tech? How did you actually get into, as you, as you properly call it, conversational AI? What was your first touch with that? Well, I think that, um, I think like mid 2015, something like that, you had an, an, the start of the new AI revolution or whatever you want to call it. Like people were experiencing that, um, or basically we found out that we have a lot of data, a lot of data across the web uh, that we can use to train AI to understand natural language. I think that was when my interest got started. Um, but I'm a very practical person. So what you also see is that people, they interact with a brand and you can try to force people to interact with you at a certain channel. We can, we can go uh, that far. Mm -hmm. um, but in the end, people, they just want to have like a solution, right? Yeah. Whether it's with a human, whether it's automated or not, that's up to the person, up to your customer to decide. So they would reach out to you on the phone they want to talk to one someone straight away get the problem fixed pronto right? right but sometimes you also have customers they have some problem and they don't want to talk to a person they just want to find it out and figure it out themselves uh but then in the end they're like okay let me just send you an email yeah. right? like i don't want to talk to you i'm just going to send you an email that was basically um uh not that long ago that we did that but nowadays we have all these messaging channels because of mobile apps like WhatsApp and Messenger got pretty much uh, free, right? It's uh, free of charge for consumers. Mm -hmm. And they started reaching out to our brands through social channels, through Twitter, through Facebook pages, through WhatsApp and all other means that they could reach our brands. And then you get all these questions and there you have the opportunity. You have the opportunity to still automate uh, and figure out why, like, why are people reaching out to you? And especially for the frequently asked answers you give so not the questions but the answers that you're giving those are the ones you can automate so that's uh, pretty much what intrigued me i guess when i first touched it i was with an insurance company and the problem those people have is that customers reach out and the insurance company just needs to know what products you want to make use of so if my kid he just he plays soccer kicks the ball through window from my neighbor and then I dial, what is it? Liability? Is it like a residential type of insurance? What is it? God knows, right? So using automation, you can basically figure that out automatically. And that's, that's like the use cases I saw pretty much instantly, but then also the insurance uh, industry, at least in the Netherlands is extremely slow. So they put it in a fridge and I was like, well, I'm, I, I want to find out if I can make a product out of this. That's basically how Flow got born. Okay. And did you have, I mean, obviously, I mean, maybe you totally just started it yourself at your computer, 
or did you have one or two other people that were already experts in the space or you got or you folks were learning together how did it come together into an actual company and tell me about your first customer or two that you sold flow to and 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 what you were um what you were emphasizing was it efficiency was it going to be hey this will be measurably better for your customer satisfaction how did you when you birthed the company who were your compadres, your contemporaries right there sitting beside you, and how are you explaining it to the brands as saying, this is going to change X for you, efficiency or engagement? Uh, tell me a little bit about those first few months of Flow, Flow.ai. Yeah, so the, the first months, um, we just set up a website, and by us, I mean my other co-founder, which was Murat, which uh -huh. had also a design background. And we just uh, allowed people to contact us. So everyone dialed in, everyone reached out because they were all amazed and we had nothing, like absolutely <laughs> nothing, right? Like we had everyone, like name a brand, those were, they were phoning in. They were knocking um, on your door, yeah, okay. All of them, yeah, they were all just calling us and texting us and whatever, like, yeah, we wanna meet, what be up, et cetera. Yeah. So the only thing we had was a deck and an ID. And um, we started off with two or three companies, I guess, like more enterprises in the Netherlands, did, just did custom work. And we learned a lot about it because we didn't have anything to show for, but we found out that all the conversational AI pieces that were out there were just crap. And by crap, it was, they were technically, they worked, but it was so much work to, um, to, to get build them it. To come together, yeah, to build to get it. Them to come together. And that's how Flow originated. And then we also had Sander, and he he's from the space, like he is a conversational AI specialist. Okay. Uh, he had PhDs and that stuff. Wow. So we figured out, like, from the one hand, what does a UX designer or a conversational designer need? And right. on the other hand, how does that technology work? And we yeah. tried to find, like, a way that, that would work best for you as a designer to easily and rapidly prototype your solution up till that it works because in the back then it was spending 12 months on training ai putting it live and seeing it horribly fail and that's what we uh, we saw and, and we saw an opportunity there to fix yeah and i remember when i first heard about what you folks had put together which was a really nice interface that was intuitive i mean it's never like, you know, an 11 year old can just start building a robot instantly or, or a conversational AI. But if you're a little tech savvy with drag and drop and you know your business well, this thing is relatively painless to set up a bot, right? But you seem, you and your team seem to have a better approach to how you were predicting what people were going to say and setting up the robot for success. Right? And then plugging it into business systems. And I think that's what we needed. That's what we wanted. And that's why we eventually decided, um, as well as you and the team decided, to, to marry and for Flow.ai to become part of Koros. What I'd like to know next, though, is what your initial impressions were of Koros and what we were trying to do with our social care tool and how you and your team at that moment were like, 
hey, these folks have a pretty good vision for where they're going. You know, why are we not merging and marrying into this and, and drafting off them? And in a way, them drafting off of us. Like, tell me about your original impressions of Koros back then. Yeah, so so back then, like, our first impressions were that um, Koros had built the best automation framework to tie in. So when you look at our solution that we had with Flow was really focused on automation, that piece. We tried to do it as best as possible. Um, to your point, we tried to make it work where it can, as a team, collaborate on creating some great solutions there. We did that with companies like Samsung, where also Cores was. And uh, Samsung, they told us like, look, this is our, our management platform. So we want to automate this piece. Whatever cannot be dealt with AI, we have agents managing those conversations in, in Cores Care. Um, so we tie those two together. And tying it together, that's when we started collaborating with Justin and the rest of the team. And we found out that the automation uh, framework that they put out there, that was the best that we saw uh, up till then. Okay. So that was that was a very good first sign, right? Like um, we've integrated with everything pretty much before we joined Corals. And most of the stuff wasn't very easy to do or, or complete or whatever. Even the biggest players that we, we integrated with was not as good as we had with Care. Okay. Then when you look at the, the business side of the house, you have like, a, a, um, again, two things where you can shine in. One is the automation and the other is the conversation management. And for us, like it was not more than a logical decision to search like a dedicated partner like ours to approach your market with. Because if you want to go to bigger companies, bigger brands, you need to have a total solution. Yeah. So for Flow itself, it was like a, a very, yeah, it was like a, um, just just uh, the best thing to do to partner with Chorus and approach that market. So, and then Chorus approached us like, yeah, let's take this one step further. So right. in essence, it was like, we got married, but we first lived together. So, yeah, uh, yeah, right, right. and. And then once, once the ball started rolling, once we got some velocity with this partnership, I know that in my own personal experience with Koros, and it was lithium technologies way back then, um, one thing that, that impressed me, and I'm not, normally not impressed by titles or names or celebrity or stuff like this, but we only had 25 or 30 customers when I first joined the company back in 2006, but it was big names that you immediately recognized. And what I quickly realized in dealing with those big names that I immediately recognized is some of them push very hard to want to innovate. And it's like, oh, you bought this product and perhaps we're the Cadillac price product, the best product in, in the space, but this brand came to us to make it better, right? They weren't just saying, they weren't content to say, oh, we bought the best and then let it go, right? Like, let, let it do its thing. We bought the best so that we could try to make it even better. That Did you experience something like that where it's, now all of a sudden you're part of Koros and you're exposed to 500 of the biggest brands in the world? Are you getting new challenges? Did you get new challenges right away to push 
to limit. I know to this day you're still pushing, but was it a bit of a cold shower to all of a sudden say, wait a minute, we had already a great product. Now all of a sudden I'm looking at it like our product isn't isn't ready. Like with all the stuff that Coros's customers need. Tell me a little bit about the innovation velocity that you probably had to, you know, hold on to. It's like a moving train or something. Yeah, that's a good one. So I think that we were very fortunate that the way that we that our engineering team had created flow and set it up uh, like along the years that we built on the platform, they did an amazing job there that we didn't have a lot of technical depth okay. because if something stands in your way to innovate as a product, it's legacy software, right? It's the stuff that you have running for years that's hard to change. Fortunately, we didn't have that that much. Um, I also think that for most customers that we, we engage with, like even the big brands, we have very good, we have a very complete solution. I do believe that for every um, every feature we have in Flow, we are always looking at improving it further. So uh, some of the problems that every AI vendor has in the world in the world is that you need to have data, you need to train the AI models, etc. So we were focused on like how can we um, make that even easier. So that's a couple of those features that that evolved. Other things are not something we saw from customers demanding it, but we saw it more as an opportunity, like agent-facing AI. Like, how can we use conversational AI in the AI system we have today to improve the entire agent experience that right. we are already offering? So I think it's not just um, uh, listening to customers and what they want today, but more looking at what their problems are and figuring out a solution uh, without them even knowing that it might be a problem that we're solving. So uh, just going going one step further. Yeah, that's an interesting. The fact that you are you're making the customer experience better, but are you making the agent experience better? I mean, some people might get really scared and like, well, you're putting agents out of a job, and we have never looked at our software is anything like that. We use the word efficiency, so it's like we don't want you to fire your agents. We just want them to be able to move on to different things that our technology can't do right so we want them to stay with your company they, they're probably good loyal employees and they're probably very competent but if they don't have to spend time on certain parts of the customer experience because that can be done with a robot then let's make them more efficient and have them hammer on something that that only they can uniquely deliver now here and therein lies my next question is how much feedback or learnings are you getting from the agents themselves? I, I mean, it's one thing to take lessons from the customer experience, but now you talk about the agent experience. How much have you had to interview agents or managers of support teams? Or was that always part imperative at the very beginning to do that just to get things going? Or um, would you have to kind of pry them and nudge them to give them more information to improve what you are going to deliver? Uh, yeah, um, not a single answer there, I guess. So we we took a look at a lot of our customers and how agents interacted. Um, one, one of our customers, they were also forward thinking and they had like 
they achieve something like 30% of, of reduction in the number of hours they spent. So roughly speaking, 30% decrease of their spent on agents. Now, this doesn't mean that people get fired because they eventually, like agents, they churn and they, they leave the company and they just don't hire more. But they actually, they gave them all a raise. And the reason why is that they weren't dealing with the simple questions anymore, only with the complex ones. And the feedback that we get right now from um, that, that specific company actually is that, yeah, we have like, we're basically at the level of automation right now, but we have some very complex cases um, that involve multiple products connecting together. And there's no real clear way to automate that anyway. Yeah. So how can we further improve that? How can we make that easier? Because these questions, they usually get forwarded to a product expert and that increases the time that the customer needs to wait. So it decreases customer satisfaction and increases costs. So what can we do? So that's how we figured out like, look, what if we take the knowledge from those expert users, turn those into, for example, a sort of guides, work instructions, and present those to the agents that are not our experts at the right moment in time when they are engaging with that with that customer. And that, that's basically how those features get born. We try to prototype, experiment, run a public, or sorry, run a private beta with some companies to test and validate if our assumptions are correct. And if they are, we complete that feature and, uh, and push it out. And do you feel like the intelligence, it's one thing to build a product where you have to use your own human intelligence to make the robot respond a certain way and do the gymnastics to follow the conversation. But do you ever feel like once that is done, once it, that it's, as we say in English, set it and forget it? Or do you constantly, maybe not constantly, do you have, do you consistently have to go back to the bot and fine tune it? How much of it is set it and forget it? And how much of it is fine tuning, uh, consistently fine tuning? Um. Well, again, this depends a bit. So how frequently are business processes changing? Um, what does your business look like? That's really like how frequently you need to change it. You can you can compare it a bit to app or web development. Like that's at least how we always compared conversational design. It's a bit like um, in the early days, you only had webmasters. Mm -hmm. And nowadays you have visual designers, front-end developers, like all these different expertise, uh, people that are just only focused on getting your website better found on Google, right, for SEO. You have all these expertises. And I think that for, for conversational design, it's the same thing. It's a continuous process where you improve and improve. And if you don't have a lot of changes in your business, yeah, you can, uh, you can uh, uh, work it out. And then there you have your solution. If you want to take it one step further, or you need to jump on some marketing activity that you have, or basically you are in a very disruptive market, then it might mean that you need to have ongoing support and, and maintenance on, on whatever you put out there. And are you happy with the velocity of conversational AI technology? Or do you feel like, and I'm talking about in the broader industry, do you feel like it's moving at the right pace, especially as, if, as you... Heist or kind of a leader in that industry in that space, 
when you look around, maybe it's to our competitors, maybe it's to just other people that are doing slightly different things in the academic world and studying stuff. Do you feel like it's moving at the right velocity or is it like, well, it's moving a little too fast and some mistakes are being made? Or do you feel like, oh, this is way too slow. Everyone's being too cautious. What are your thoughts on the industry as a whole and how adept or nimble it is? Now, we see, we see big differences between different customers. So some of them are very mature. They know really well and they look at our tool and typically they say like, yeah, this, this will work. Um, others are just brand new to the entire automation space. Even those uh, we sometimes see. I think that for... Um, the conversational AI technology that people are actually now figuring out what it is and what it can do and what it cannot. So um, a lot of times that Flow AI, which is a small team, small brand, right? But we got big brands, big customers, because they were spending like years on training conversational AI and again, finding out that it didn't work. And then you have this very flexible tool where you can do um, a very iterative, fast, uh, updates to the conversational AI put out there and then because when it, it makes a mistake you can change it yeah. and I think that that is that is the thing uh, uh, that worked really well for us I still see a lot of companies um, looking at conversational AI something that their IT department needs to own right. which is from my point of view uh, not the right location um, because your agents that are interacting with uh, customers uh, the people that um, even built your website, I don't know, like those people are way more aware of what your conversational AI should do. Um, I still think that a lot of companies are, well, not very um, uh, fast in that regard. They're still like muddling around a bit. If you look from a technology point of view, we did make a lot of progress. Like yeah, right now, um, it's way easier to build out stuff uh, than before. So uh, uh, it's easier to set up conversation than I created purely because the technology uh, became smarter. There is, though, uh, some concern that a lot of the technology requires very high, high end and powerful computers. Uh, that's the only downside that I see from, uh, from the, uh, the technology that's out there. Um, why is it a concern? Well, because the costs are increasing just purely because of that technology. Um, and the other thing that I find really interesting, at least in the space, is more in the generative uh, scene. So think of image generation, text generation, uh, that kind of uh, um, uh, technology is also evolving pretty fast nowadays. Okay. Yeah. I, I, and I wonder sometimes, you know, people always, and, and we talked about this, about this, this fear of like a singularity event or you know, Skynet from the Terminator, that these things will just become so smart and so much smarter than us and eventually realize, hey, we don't need these silly humans anymore. <laughs> I, I don't think we're even remotely close to that yet. Um, and I, I don't know if any experts say, oh, we'll, we'll be there in 10 years or we'll be there in 30 years. Either way, we need computer power, processing power to happen at the same exponential rate in which these were developing our technology and the interfaces that were putting it together. I want to pause though from that concept because that's a weird conversation to have about you know the singularity event and Skynet is real. But 
I want to go back to some of the basics that we're using it now today. And, and before this podcast, you and I had a conversation where I was starting to break down why people come to uh, the, our social channels. And, you know, the, the mud that I crawl out of, I, I come from the world of community. And so in my experience with community, which is fairly vast at this point, I have maybe uncharitably so uh, pigeonholed our visitors to community, a brand-based community, to doing one of three things. The first is, hey, the product or service is broken. Can you help me fix it? Or, hey, I'm talking to my peers. What are my suggest? Do you have suggestions on how I can fix it? The second one is, hey, I bought this thing. I really love it or I kind of like it. I want to optimize it or fine-tune it. What are your suggestions? And then the third reason people stop by these brand-based communities is, I'm thinking of buying this product or service. Can you, my peers, tell me what I should buy at this price point with my needs or my requirements? And that the community is able to help with all those things. And, and then the person is more likely to trust them because it is their peers of people just like them. So it's either one, break, fix, two, optimize or fine tune, or three, help me decide to what to buy. Do you feel like conversational AI and, and specifically the bots that we offer on our platform, maybe even just bots in general, do you think they're starting to cover those cases? Personally, I'll, I'll just say, I think they do a great job with number one, break, fix. They do a decent job with help me fine tune or optimize. And then the third, the third one where it's help me decide what to buy can be a little flat, but I'd love to hear your take on it. Yeah, it maps out to the customer journey, right? So it's, you have people orientating to the product, using the product and, and so forth. Um, I think in all areas it can work, but again, it depends a bit on your business. So let's say you would create conversational AI that sells stuff using, I don't know, uh, let's say Facebook Messenger. Yeah. Now, are your customers actually there? Yes or no, right? If you look at the in market in India or in China, a lot of people, they buy products using messaging channels. But in the Western world, like in Europe and both the US, it's not that frequent that people straight buy um, from these messaging channels. It does happen, but it's not as common as it is in, in other markets. Okay. So it really is looking at what are the touch points of your customers in the journey. So are they reaching me out just purely for getting uh, suggestions for a product? Or are they reaching me out, are they reaching out because they have an issue? And looking at those different use cases and then applying the automation. Now for the product recommendation, um, a channel like your website where you have an assistant popping up because you're looking at that page for like two hours trying to find out what the best bike is to buy or the best TV. And then you have a digital assistant popping up and then based on whatever type of bike or, or TV or whatever product type you're looking at and you're like a high, high quality lead because you have a lot of money you want to spend on that TV, then you can pull in an agent, which is actually a sales rep to assist in that. Uh -huh. So I think like those are the, those are the use cases for sales that work really well, okay. at least in US and in Europe. 
Um, but again, it, it depends on where your customers are and how they interact with your brand. Uh -huh. Well, I feel like we've covered a, a bunch of the things that I, I wanted to cover, Heist, but now I want to turn it to you. What would you like to share with people? Is there anything you know, in the, in the future or anything that you're working on now or just broader thoughts on the industry that you want to bring up or at the very least kind of um, share some opinions on because and just get them out there for the larger the larger audience to hear. Um, yeah, so the, the, the two areas that I think are very interesting right now is one is voice. Um, we didn't touch on that one, but voice is still a very big channel for, for customer interactions. Uh, you see a lot of developments there. A lot of companies are investing in it. Um, if you contact a brand, I'm pretty sure now in the next two years, you'll have a voice assistant asking you what your problem is instead of you have, having to go through uh, 10 different IVR menus like press one, press two. Uh, it will just ask and figure out like what your problem is and then forge you to the right agent. Uh, also blending in digital channels there. So, um, okay, you have a problem with your invoice, totally fine. I'm not gonna send you a message on what should, how should I reach you? Like you wanna go through WhatsApp, Apple, this, like how can I reach you? Okay, I'm gonna send you a message and then just forward me the invoice and we'll have a look together. Like blending in those messaging channels together with voice, I think that will be, um, way more frequent in the future a lot of development there uh, and the last one is generative ai so it's um not really related to the stuff that we're working on right now with uh, flow and in, in course by itself um but think of these use cases let's say you want to do a social media post normally you would go to your graphic designer to create some uh, some uh, uh, nice looking image to uh, to put on there why not just Type in what you want. The AI will generate an image for you and push, put it on your blog post or your community article or your social media post. Like right. those are the, the use cases that will pop up uh, the next uh, 12 months. That is interesting. When all when now we can look towards the bots to actually be helping to provide content. Now they're you know part of the team that is creative um, rather than and. and because oftentimes, and this may be a little unfair to the, the bots, but that's just how it's been set up, is they're reactive, right? And so if we can have them be our partners on the journey to create, like you were talking about the image is a great example, um, that's, a different, that's a different relationship that we're having now. Um, rather than them being reactive, they're our partner in content creation. And that may be something to kind of go out on that note that we look towards the horizon, towards the future. And as I mentioned earlier, brands push us. And if brands are pushing us to say, hey, I need a partner in creating content, um, that's a different request than we are, uh, than we are accustomed to with, with bots specifically. And well, why is it that a bot can't offer the same kind of valuable stuff? It's not just a reactive hey, I'm going to be more efficient and help this customer engagement journey come to a close by answering questions. I'm going to, or, or help the person find their destination more quickly. I'm going to proactively, along with a human, uh, produce content, right? And so that's, maybe that's on the horizon and that's, that's hopefully a very positive thing. And I, and I look forward to seeing that evolve. 
Uh, I mean, what's going on in your meetings when you guys strategize on things? Are are they feeling very positive about that same sort of what's on the horizon, or are they on their heels going, how do we accommodate this customer with their needs or their wants? So it's a blend <laughs> of both. Right? No, like you always have like those situations, right? That that some customer is asking for some edge case that you never thought about, right. and then you need to figure out like, okay, how we're going to deal with that. Uh, but in general, I think that our team is very motivated also because uh, the stuff that we're working on is super exciting uh, because Flow joined with Cause. We have millions of conversations that take place uh, with the top brands. So we have a lot of data that, we, that our ML engineers can work with. Uh, so we have also a dedicated team spending time on that. Uh, they're working on like a very consistent way that they can innovate way faster with the stuff that I just talked about. So um, how can we use that generative AI and, and, and generating images and how well does it work? And can we fit that into our marketing solution or into the community solution to help our people, to help our customers? Um, and that's what also uh, excites them. Cool. So working on that stuff, but also moving it into uh, a situation that it actually gets used and it's not just some academic paper. And it's good to hear that they're feeling motivated on that that front, that there are things that are still pushing them and, and capturing their interests. I'd like to thank you, Heist, for your time today. Again, the Titans of Customer Engagement podcast, we try to cover talking to Coros customers or people in the industry. And it's always nice to look inward, though, and to see, hey, these are our employees that are working on this stuff and trying to accommodate the customer uh, experience, our customer experience. And by virtue of that, their customer experience. These big brands had the customers. So, and I like the fact that you're on the front lines. You developed a product that is accommodating everybody and trying to accommodate all these different cases. And to hear a little bit more about your background and what you're working on, what you're hopeful for. And so I just want to thank you again. Um, and, and so to all the folks listening out there, you know, Heist has been featured here and there. I think once in a while, Heist, you may even be at some conferences or some meet and greet. So hopefully some, if you guys ever run across Heist in person, make sure to do your best to get his name right. Buy him a beer, <laughs> or buy him a beer, buy him a cup of coffee, buy him a cup of tea, and, uh, and you'll be able to talk about the future because this guy seems to have his fingers on the pulse of where we're going. Thanks, Jake. Thanks for spending time with us today on Titans of Customer Engagement, a customer experience podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, leave us a review, and spread the word. Your feedback means a lot to us. Continue the conversation on Koros Atlas at community.koros.com. Until next time. The CX world is now digital first. It's what customers expect, and Koros can help. Koros is an award-winning customer engagement platform built to turn those siloed interactions with your customer into enterprise value. You can harness the power of human connection across the customer experience, from outbound marketing, social, messaging, chat, and SMS, to owned and digital communities. Customer engagement means staying always connected. Find out how customer-first software and services can make you a titan of customer engagement at Koros.com.